Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump in. Hey there, mamas. Welcome to episode 40. We are in season three of the Gather Moms podcast. We are talking all about our home, and we are so excited to have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Mary DeMuth. She is a writer, a podcaster, a speaker, an artist, and now a literary agent. She is a wealth of information and wisdom and really has a lifetime of experience that she's going to share with us today on the podcast. Yes, and all of those creative things she's doing, she is doing from her home. And so she has so much to tell us about how we do those things in our home. And for those of us who feel called to use our gifts that God has given us to create in this world, she is going to give us some steps on how to start and how to keep going. We know that you are going to be so blessed by this, so let's jump in. Hey, Mary, welcome to the podcast. We are so honored to have you on and be in the presence of an absolute podcast all-star. For sure. This girl, she's got that million, million woman march on her podcast, don't you? What are you at now? I think we're getting close to two. Million. Oh my goodness. <laughs> two million downloads. It kind of makes our like a uh, few thousand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a minute before we're chomping at your heels, Mary Muth. <laughs> I'm waiting for you. Come for me. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> so, Mary, you are also a well-known author and just basically an all-around awesome human. <laughs> I love that. And I remember first meeting you when I had your precious Sophie in a Bible study I taught. She's incredible. And Rebecca, you've known Mary for a long time, right? But do you remember how you met her? Mary, I've been thinking about this all morning. And I feel like I've always known you. <laughs> I, I really. Since you were born, we've known each other. I think so. I'm pretty sure in the womb because I don't remember a first meeting. I don't either. I, just, I was excited see, to hear the story. I don't remember either. We just, we've known each other. Yes. Okay. Well, look at that. There's no, there's, y'all just always known. Okay. But I want to tell my favorite Mary story. So my favorite Mary story <laughs> is I normally see her at a restaurant that we have here in our hometown. She <laughs> loves to go there with her friends, as do I. And whenever I'm sitting with someone, they'll go, oh my gosh, is that Mary to me? <laughs> and I'll say, I know her. Uh-huh. Would you like to meet her? Yeah. And yeah. then I get to introduce them to yeah. Mary and it makes me feel really special. So you're famous. Yes. We get all the cool points when we get to say that we know you. Yes. <laughs> so welcome Mary DeMuth. We are so glad you're here. It's great to be here and you guys are so much fun and I'm excited. Well, we have been reading your books and listening to your teachings for a long time. And do you, how many books have you written? <laughs> uh, 43. And I just got a contract for number 44. No way. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. I feel like you must be writing all the time. Do you ever stop? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> just keep doing it. Okay. So tell us more about that. Like, when did you start writing? How did you know you wanted to be an author? Yeah, so um, I'll back up a little bit to the second grade. And uh, I had a teacher who 
I was struggling as a little kid. I just had a rough upbringing. And so to have a teacher say to my parent, to my mom, that I was a good writer was a big deal. And it stuck in my head. I uh, graduated from college with an English degree, taught junior hires for a couple of years. That was my years of purgatory. And then <laughs> junior, junior high English. I mean, there we go. Um, and then started having little kids, including the Sophie that you mentioned at the beginning. And the moment I had Sophie, I just felt like I needed to birth a book. And so that kind of began that journey. So in the nineties, I was writing for about 10 years in obscurity, miles and miles of unpublished words. I wrote a novel. I wrote, um, ultrasound video curriculum. I wrote whatever I could get my hands on. I wrote homeschooling curriculum. I mean, I did everything. And, uh, and so it wasn't until I moved up here and started going to where we all attend church together, um, that I began to go to like conferences and there was a Rockwell Christian writers group here in our town. And that's when I started like getting very serious. And so I met an agent, um, in 2004 and got my first two contracts at that point. And then we moved to France and then I basically been writing three books a year from that point on. Absolutely incredible. (laughs) My mouth is open right now. Three books a year? Three books a year. What? I know. I know. It's absolutely incredible. Well, I just think it's amazing. And I'm so thankful you shared the part of your story about the years in obscurity and just writing and writing and writing. Because I think so many people want to skip that part. Um, We all want to skip that part, right? Yes, I would have loved to have skipped it. But yeah, I'm a good writer today because of it. And I'm, a, as you probably deduced, I'm a very fast writer because of it because I worked on that muscle for a decade and now I'm very fast and good at it. That's beautiful. I think, I think there are moms listening who today, that's what they are going to take away the most is they're going to go, you know, I, I know God has called me to this and I, I don't have an agent. I haven't signed with a company, but I'm just going to keep being faithful where he has called me and keep growing this giftedness and just see what he has. I agree. And that, yeah, I was, that's exactly what I was doing. I was tucking it into the margins of my stay at home mom life. Uh, when I had forced rest times, I was a, you know, one of those mean moms that made my kids rest from like one to two every day, even though they didn't take naps anymore because I needed a rest from them. And then I would just uh, cram in writing when they were quote unquote sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I was definitely in that space and, um, but it was not wasted. In fact, I would say those years of apprenticeship, um, were the best things that I ever did for my writing career. You know, I, well, first of all, let me say something that I think you think it's funny that you're mean if you make them nap or take room time from one to two, I'm like, uh, y'all gonna be in here from one to five. Because (laughs) (laughs) Can you just keep playing with your Legos, please? Kate said, I really think four hours is a good amount of time. (laughs) You need to know how to be an independent learner. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The other thing I would say (laughs) is after I had Caleb was, my first child was when I felt the urge to write. And I wonder if it's something about, you know, this just could be nothing, but I wonder if there's something about you birthing that baby. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it released in me some kind of power. I didn't know I had this ability to know that I could create. (laughs) Placental power. (laughs) Listen, it's getting weird up in here. What what are we doing? I'm serious because writing my first study was like birthing a baby. I mean, you know, it really, it took me nine months to write it. 
And I remember when it was finished, it was this feeling of accomplishment, like somebody putting a baby in your arms, you know? Okay, Rebecca's giving me weird faces. Y'all, I like to write too, but I haven't had this like postpartum <laughs> experience. I feel like I'm missing something. Very bad. Well, you'll up. just have to get pregnant again. And... No, ma'am. <laughs> Do not speak those words out loud on a podcast. <laughs> Nope. But I think I hear moms say, or I hear, I hear young women who don't have kids yet, you know, like, oh, I've got to do all of this stuff before I have kids. And I just want to say that I think there is something about having a child that makes you go, oh, I want to do this now that I have them because of them. I yes. want to show them, I want to show them I can do this, or I feel stronger and bolder now that I've had them. So just don't ever discount that you have to do all the stuff before having kids. You know, I've done... Lots of great stuff since having kids. Yes. And it's empowered me to do it. Yes. God's never finished with you. And I think the world tells us that you have to do something by your 30s or something yeah. for you to be a success. And so many great godly women that I see are still doing it. Like, they never stopped. Yeah. In fact, God not only, like, opened doors in their later years, but he's, like, flinging them open now. Almost like what you're saying. Like, you're still writing three books a year. And yeah. it's just coming out of you because of what God's done in all those training years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so Yeah. Good. I mean, I'm right full in the middle of my career right now. And, and there's, I don't feel like it's been thwarted because in fact, I think those training years are so important because I be, once I got to that first writer's conference with a book in hand, I was immediately successful because I had worked so hard. And so people, when they hear that story, they're like, please tell me when you met your agent. And I'm like, no, I have to tell you about the 10 years before, because I don't want to tell a lie. Yeah. <laughs> and also I wasn't suddenly successful. It may appear that way. Like I went to my first conference, got an agent, but there was a decade of work behind that that was not wasted. Yeah. That's so good. Mary, the other thing that you are really passionate about is those that have suffered sexual abuse. And you have just done what I would say is a world-changing work Agree. in this area and brought it to light. So when did you feel like God was calling you to specifically speak light into that dark place? A very long time, actually. I feel a little pioneery because, and that's not a word, I just made it up. But um, it's a good one. In the 90s, when I was doing all that work, um, I began uh, as a speaker. I've been a speaker longer than I've been a published writer. Uh, I began speaking about that topic. And it was uncomfortable. I mean, just to be super honest, in churches, they didn't want me to talk about that kind of stuff. But every single time that I did, and it wasn't very many times, but the, every time that I did, I had a line afterwards of people saying, thank you. I finally don't feel so alone. I thought I was the only one. And so I've been doing that for years and years and years, and then um, ended up wanting to publish a book on healing from sexual abuse. So I pitched it to all, well, my agent pitched it to all the publishers and they all said, there's no market for this. Of course, this was in 2007. And so uh, it you know, people thought that there was no market for it, um, which is silly because most people have had some sort of abuse in some form. Um, and so I crowdfunded that book and published it by myself, ended up crowdfunding it for $25,000, was able to do a print run and an audio book and all sorts of other things. Um, and that book was called Not Marked, Finding Hope and Healing After Sexual Abuse. 
And writing that and also my memoir where I tell my story was the foundation by which I wrote the book We Too, which came out in 2019, how the church can respond redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis. And that's really one of those um, hallmark books of my career. Uh, it didn't sell well, but I think it has had great influence over policies and procedures and the way we treat sexual abuse victims in the church. Just incredible. Thank you for speaking the uncomfortable thing. Thank you for having the hard <laughs> conversations. And even when it wasn't popular and, you know, wasn't what necessarily everybody's tickling ears wanted to hear that you said the hard thing, because I think, you know, you are one of those people that God put in place to start preparing hearts for kind of this conversation that now we are having much more normally, right? It's mm -hmm. we're, it's much more spoken about. Mm -hmm. um, still not, uh, of course, to the level that we would like, where women feel safe to come forward, and and also things are changing. But but we're making considerable progress, you know, mm -hmm. especially in the last few years. Well, and God needs those pioneers. I love the fact that you can say this might not be the book that sold the most copies, but it might be the book that I'm most proud of because yeah. it was mm -hmm. the message that God said somebody needs to say this. Yes. And you did it. And that that's a really heavy, it's a heavy burden, I think, to carry, to feel like um, you're you're putting yourself in a position where there's going to be attack and there's not going to be, it's not going to be well received. But thank you for doing that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. We are so thankful for the way that God uses you to set the captives free. And you do so much of your creative work in your home, right? You paint, you make note cards and you write and you have a podcast and you prepare to speak. And, and we want to know, you know, we're, we want to talk about how you do all of that out of your home, but you know, this season we are in home, we're talking about home. So can you give us a little insight into what it's like in your home? So who is in your home? Who lives in it? Where is it? Yeah, so we've kicked out all of our children, and we've um, welcomed two fur baby people nice. <laughs> to our house. So we've nice. got a, we have Boo Radley, who you would think would be a boy, but she is a woman cat. <laughs> And you called her a woman cat. <laughs> I have never heard someone call a cat a woman. She was, she was, she was on the street. She was a pregnant teen, and we took her in. Oh. And then we have Daisy, the crazy, which rhymes well, um, the chocolate lab. And so we've got those two. And then I've got a husband of thirty plus years, and we both work from home. And that is it. And then our kids come visit us once in a while, and that's who's in our house. Fantastic. How do you feel about being an empty nester? Is that, is it good? Was it hard? I feel great about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was lovely. Um, it was, of course, it was hard um, sending them off on their own. I mean, of course, my mama heart was really, really sad that I wasn't going to see them every day. Like You're just used to seeing your kids every day. Um, but I'm really proud of my kids. All three have jobs. All three have places they live in independently. Um, they have cars, they are alive and they all have good salaries. And I feel like I should get a medal for the, yes, or my husband and I should get a medal for that. They don't live in, we don't have basements in Texas, but they don't live in my basement playing video games. So that's really awesome. Fantastic. I love it. I love I it too. So you and your husband work from home. And so do you have a favorite spot in your home? <laughs> this is kind of funny because I, my office is two stories that you can see it as you're looking at me and, yeah. um, it's open to the upstairs game room and my husband's office was up there and I could hear him and he coaches people all the time, like doctors and stuff. And 
I did not like him for a while. And uh, so yeah. my favorite place is the bedroom that we have put him in with the door. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. I am so happy about that room because it means I can work quietly and I don't have to wear my headphones all the time. I love that. I love that. Okay. Do you have a place in your home that you'd like to refresh? Is there anything right now that's just kind of bugging you and you're like, you know what, I'm ready to get ready to tackle this? Yeah, I think all of our bathrooms are from when we bought our house and they're boring. So, but I'm not like, I'm kind of like one of those people that like, that will be the last thing that I remodel because it, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't care. I don't, I, I'm in there so infrequently. I'm not a makeup person. And so it's like, yeah, <laughs> but they could use a refresh. Okay, good. Okay. One of my favorite things that you do that I connect with so strongly, and it's like on my bucket list that I'm going to do this one day is you paint, you create art and you video it. Oh my goodness. It's like the most soothing thing for me to watch you create your art. Um, you have a podcast, which were, uh, has over, you said almost 2 million. Yeah. Pray listens, every day. Um, uh -huh. Pray every day. You write, you speak, and now you're a literary agent, your brand new venture, which we're excited about. You do all of that out of your home and in your home. So what is it about being in your home that makes you feel creative to do all these creative things that you do? Yeah, I've, I've got a great office and it is a very peaceful, joyful place. Um, and I also have a yard where I get to garden and there's some, just some peace that happens when I dig my fingers in the dirt. Um, I know, uh, Rebecca, you now have a lawn, so that's really exciting. grass, Mary. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's great. It's not a mud hole anymore. It's not right? a mud hole <laughs> Can anymore. you walk on it yet? I can walk on it. And you know what? You're so right because really when I would go in my backyard and it was a mud hole, it was depressing. <laughs> yeah. And there is yeah. something about green grass that literally makes your insides just get excited and you, you want to do something creative. That's so true. My spleen is happy right now. Yes. Just hearing yeah. Yes. And my placenta. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen. I hope there's none left in there. That <laughs> no, would be bad. No, it was a joke. It was a joke. I was just making you just give it throwing shade because you were hating on my uh, birthing. <laughs> But if for you, it's the green grass, and for me, it's delivering a baby. <laughs> oh, learning something new about you every day, Kate Anderson. Okay. Yes, yes, the art. It's excellent. So do you, you know, working from home, I mean, I feel like there's blessings and curses about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it is the place where you are creating all of these things. So what do you do when you don't feel creative? You know what? This is going to be a weird answer to that question. I always do feel creative. I am constantly thinking of new and exciting, fun things to do. Wow. Um, and in fact, it's more a matter of pulling it back or reining it in than it is having writer's block or something like that. I just haven't. That's just the way God has created me. I haven't run out of ideas yet. Maybe the day I run out of an idea, I'll just like drop dead of a heart attack or something. But um, it's just it's just kind of how I'm wired. But do you feel like, okay, first of all, let me just say that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I want that. Well, I have lots of ideas. I just don't always have the energy to execute them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that too. <laughs> so what do you do when like, do you, do you not get distracted by like laundry that needs to be done or dishes? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the laundry's going right now as I'm speaking to you. And yeah, the chores of the house will always kind of get there for me. And um, I think 
I have a, what I do on Sundays is I write down, I like paper, even though I have a Google calendar and all of that. And I do all those things. I still like the physicality of paper. And so on Sunday night, I will look through my week and I will make sure I have everything mapped out. And not all those things on that list have to do with my jobs. Um, They might be like, go out and weed the garden or something. So I do have some flexibility there of, you know, getting other things done within my schedule, but I try to prioritize my work first before I get to do more fun things like weeding, which weeding can be fun, but um, it's not that fun, but it can be fun. Well, I think that's helpful because I work from home and, you know, when I, when I'm sitting in front of my computer and I know I'm supposed to be working and then I think, well, I could just go do some laundry or I could go and I, you know, cause I really don't want to sit there and work. (laughs) And so I get distracted, you know, with the home chores and stuff. And so I think it's a good idea to think about, okay, I've, I've scheduled in time to do that, but right now it's my time to sit here and get these tasks done for work. One of the methods that's really helped me with that is the Pomodoro technique and uh, you can Google it, but uh, Pomodoro means uh, tomato in Italian and Pomodoro is that little timer that's shaped like a, toma- a oh, tomato. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. You would use it as to time your eggs or whatever. But um, so what you do is you work for 25 minutes with that timer. You can set your iPhone for that as well, but I like the tick, tick, tick. I don't know why I'm weird that way. Maybe I should have been a bomb maker or something, but um, <laughs> that would not have been very creative, destructive, but not creative. And you, so you work for those 25 minutes and when it dings, you get up and you walk around and you do something. So what would happen is, uh, which helped my posture and my pain a lot, cause I'm sitting at a desk a lot. I would get up, I would go throw a load of laundry in the washing machine. Um, I would walk outside, I would get the mail for those five minutes and then I would come back. And I initially thought that, you know, I'm in a state of flow as an artist, um, that it would disrupt my state of flow and that that wouldn't work. But actually I was able to pick it up quicker. And because I had that kind of mindless time of five minutes, I was able to come back to the task and actually do it better. And so that's something a busy mom could do. They could do the Pomodoro technique of 25 minutes on five minutes off and uh, do that throughout the day. And that will help you stay. The other uh, rule about Pomodoro is you only do one thing at a time. So during those 25 minutes, you do that one thing and then you rest and you continue to do that one thing until it's completed. And then you can start to do the next thing on your task list. I love that. Gosh, that's so good. So without knowing that there was a technique for it, my little sister is in um, Los Angeles and she was laid off during the pandemic. And, um, but has been having a lot of anxiety about applying for new jobs again and getting rejected and she's in the media and graphic industry. And so she's just been having a hard time even getting started with it because it just feels so overwhelming. So when I was there with her, I went into her work studio office. It's like these shared spaces that they have. And I just sat next to her and I set a timer on her phone and I said, okay, for these 10 minutes, you are going to work on this part of your resume, you know, and we did it for 10 minutes. And then and then we, I would say, okay, how are you doing anyway? So we did that for a few 10 minutes. And then I said, okay, now we're going to walk down to the cafe. I'm going to buy you a tea and then we'll come back. And it was so interesting to see how that worked for her to break it off into those segments that felt doable and then had little breaks within their rewards. So it's good for you to talk about that. Cause I'm hearing that talking to myself going, okay, Kate, <laughs> you could do this for yourself when you start feeling stuck to set those little timers for me. Yeah. And uh, one of the most transforming books last year that I read was Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. There's a lot of different habits books out. There's Atomic Habits. There's lots of, you know, the power of habit, but that one was probably the one that 
helped me the most. And the, obviously the principle is do something very small every day and then check it off your list as a win. And so if it's floss one tooth, you floss your one tooth. And if you're, while you're in there, you're thinking, well, I may as well do the rest. The other ones are lonely. So you go ahead and you finish and you end up flossing your whole mouth or do one push up while you're down there. Um, if you're not dying, uh, you can do more than one. And there's just something about building that success and doing one small thing. You know, yeah. for me, I love working at home at my kitchen table, which I have an office and Greg's always like, why don't you sit at your desk? But I like sitting at my kitchen table because when I get up to take a break and I put in a load of laundry or I load the dishwasher, to me, it's accomplishing a task and it makes me feel more successful to go back and finish the work thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. sometimes when you're working on a project like writing or something, there's no end in sight. Like you're just not there. It's going to be a while. And for me, I need little rewards along the way to go, I finished a whole load of laundry or right. mm -hmm. I started the dishwasher. And then when I get to the end of the day and I'm like, I didn't finish that project, I still can say, but I got this done and this done and this done. Mm -hmm. That's just what you're saying, those tiny habits. I think for a mom, I actually feel really good about getting those tiny things done during the day to say, to lay my head on the pillow at the end of the day and go, okay, I actually did something worthwhile today. Yeah. Well, and, and when you have little people in your home, especially the little baby people, I mean, just write down, I kept them alive and cross it off the list and you can just lay <laughs> and sleep happily knowing you did the most important job of the day. You kept those people alive. That's right. You know? Yes. Also, I think your first book title is going to be Little Baby People. <laughs> little, you do say that a lot. Little Baby People and Sweet Baby Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I prayed to sweet baby Jesus one time on the stage at Lake Point. It was a real cute moment, Mary. <laughs> I'm sure it was. And placenta. I feel like we have lots of book titles for you, Kate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've kind of having a weird day, guys. Listen, Mary, um, we have so many moms that listen that I think are going to just love this episode. First of all, you said really interesting things about making bombs and yeah. a tomato <laughs> word that I'm going to have to put in the show yeah. notes. Pomodoro. <laughs> Pomodoro. But I also think so many mamas, you know, they get into motherhood and they feel like there's something more inside of them and they want it to get out. And raising children is like the greatest it really is. It's one of the greatest gifts God gives us. So we can't diminish that at all. But I also think as moms, he's also gifted us with other talents and gifts and abilities. And some of those are writing and speaking and creating. So what would you say to a mom that's listening to this today that's thinking, you know what, I really do think that's inside of me that wants to come out, but I don't even know how to get started. And you mentioned a little bit of that when you talked about your training years. What would you do to say, what would you say to a mom of how she could start working towards that dream, even while she's got her babies in her home? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. If if it's writing, then to attend a writer's group. And there's usually one in your area. It might be in your local library. Just Google it and find it. Um, there is one in our church every first, second Wednesday of the month at night. Um, but those kinds of things are really helpful. Or if you're a speaker, to uh, take notes and watch people speak. Even when you're uh, going to church, take note on how they, how the pastor delivers his message and then begin to, maybe if you attend a MOPS group, uh, ask for the opportunity to speak and then begin to speak at MOPS groups in your area, just to get that, um, you know, get your, get your pay of a candle or uh -huh. whatever yes, that yes. is that they give you yeah. some macrame thing, um, uh -huh. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but we all have towel. I feel like hand towels are popular as well. Uh -huh. We'll take yes, it. Hand towels. Yeah. So get your hand towels and, um, pay your dues because there is a lot of that in the beginning of something 
one of the things that I teach writers is that we have to map, we have to practice, then master, then venture. So when you're practicing and learning a skill, you have to welcome in all the feedback from everybody that is an expert more than you. So you're practicing, you're getting the feedback, you're saying, oh, okay, I have to not use these terrible, you know, these bad verbs or whatever. Practice and get all the feedback that you can. And then you master what you're doing. So um, in that case, you know, you, you master writing a sentence, a paragraph, you can get a thought across. And only after you've done that, can you venture. So as a literary agent, I'm getting experimental writing, but that's, you don't earn the right to experiment in your writing until you have practiced it and then mastered it. Uh, the you have to think about um, who's the guy, the artist that draws like one eye on one side, Picasso. Uh, so if you look at Picasso's portraiture from the very beginning of his career, it looks like a photograph. Like it's beautiful portraiture. He he ma- he practiced and then he mastered the portrait so that it would look like a photograph. And then because he knew the techniques, then he could venture from that and put an eyeball on one side of someone's face. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the process that we go through. Wow. That's a great example. That's such a great example too, because I do think our culture today wants to jump to the venture. Uh-huh. They don't oh, yeah. want to practice. They don't want feedback and they already feel like they've mastered it. Right. So the idea that you know, and this is what we tell our kids. I mean, I feel like this is what I say to my kids all the time. You have to practice and you have to fail at something to then get better the next time. And so if you're not willing to just give it a shot and try, then you're not going to earn the right to have that next opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you want to have those foundational years where you're building, where you're learning those skills, where you're growing those muscles, because being projected out onto a platform or or getting those opportunities and then not having that stable foundation Mm -hmm. is just a recipe for disaster. I feel like you're just a wealth of information, Mary. You have so much experience and wisdom. So I, I, this wasn't on our notes, but do you have any just words of advice, like words of wisdom, if you were sitting with a mom today and she was like, oh my gosh, I really want to do this. It's on my heart. What would you say to her today? I would say what the Lord said to me while I was gardening once. He said, choose choose small, tend large. And I was overwhelmed by all of the weeding that had to be done in my entire yard. And I just was discouraged because it just seemed like too many things. And so I picked instead, after I heard him say that, I picked a three by three place in my yard and I weeded the heck out of it. And I felt so happy about it because I chose small and tended large. We tend to we, we tend to uh, choose large and tend small, right? Mm-hmm. We are here, we're there, we're here, we're everywhere, we don't focus. Um, but my encouragement is to choose one thing and become really great at it and tend it so well that you know every corner of that three by three plot of your life. And like you said, um, Jesus calls us to be faithful in little, and we are not entrusted with much until we are faithful in little. So tend that little three by three plot and then as you master it, then he will ask you, you know, he'll be, give you a six by six plot and it will just grow your tent pegs, your tent pegs will grow uh, with you. Um, so that, that's one thing I would say. That's so good. I love that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think that is going to help somebody out there that hears that today. I um, mean, it's a good reminder for me to, me too. to stay this faithful for me. where I yes. am. Yeah. Yes. To just work hard faithfully for the Lord right where I am and just trust him with the rest. Yes. Hey, Mary, we know that our moms are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to hear your podcast and read your books and just follow you on social. I would say Mary is a great follow. She's very encouraging. Um, she's very engaging. And so tell us how our moms can connect with you. 
Yeah, the podcast is really helpful for moms. It's prayeveryday.show. It's wherever wherever you listen to a podcast, you can find it. Um, so just pray every day, but it's only five minutes. So right now I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm reading a Psalm every day and I'm praying according to that Psalm back to the Lord. It teaches you how to pray scripture. Um, marriedmuth.com is my main hub. Sexual abuse site is we2.org. And then my Etsy shop is, um, you can find it by going to marriedmuth.com slash art. Fantastic. Well, and I will say about Mary's art, it is fantastic. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you have come up with these note cards and scripture cards uh-huh. that are just an absolute blessing. And I love giving your cards when I'm writing notes to other women because we love pretty things. Yes. So I love that you have put that on your Etsy shop and we can get access to that. And I'll say Thanks. about Pray Every Day, Mary has just the most calming voice and it just <laughs> feels like this moment of like... You know, you just take a breath and you pray with Mary. And so I think that would really be a blessing to our mamas too. Okay, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and bless us with your wisdom and hilarity. And we are so thankful (laughs) that you decided to become an author instead of a bomb maker. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's much better. Much better. And we just, we look forward to seeing what God has um, for you in the days ahead. Thank you so much. My goodness, that was so good. She is such a blessing uh, for For Rebecca and I, Mary has been a blessing on many levels um, throughout our lives. And it's so neat to have a woman near us that we can see in town that we know personally who is doing big things for the glory of God, but she didn't start big, right? I mean, isn't that your one thing, Becca? So I love that she shared some background with us about what happened before she started writing all the books, because I really think that's one of the things everybody's kind of interested in. How did you get started? And the thing that stuck out to me was she talked about she had 10 years, basically, of training where she was writing every day and nobody else was reading it. It was just her flexing that muscle. One of the things that I think is hard as a mom is you feel like your life goes on hold for about 10 years while you've had babies and they're getting into school and you're kind of figuring out that whole mom life. And I think for for some of us, it feels like we've missed an opportunity. Mm. Like, oh, there, there probably was a door in there that God was opening and I didn't take it. And I think what Mary reminded me today is that God's timing is always perfect. And during those 10 years, she was raising babies and flexing muscles and growing parts of herself that were going to be ready when God did fling the door open. Yes. And for myself, I want to remind myself that I am doing a good work in my home. Yeah. And it's valuable and it's essential. And I don't have to put aside that passion area. I can flex that muscle, but I have to be content with it, baby, maybe being just for myself. Yes. That God's not going to open maybe a stage or a writing opportunity right now, but that if this really is what God has for me, he's going to bring that along in his right timing. Yeah. And so I don't want to get to that right timing and, and look back and go, oh my gosh, I wish I had done more in the waiting and practiced. I want to do that right now. That's right. You know, it makes me think of, I remember you teaching about Moses and his middle 40, right? Yes. And it was in the middle 40 years of his life that God called him to be a shepherd. I mean, here was this guy who had been saved out of the river, had grown up in the palace, and then he makes a bad choice. So he ends up in the wilderness tending sheep. And he did that for 40 years, for 40 years. And it wasn't until the end of that, that God wanted to use him to deliver his people. Well, and we just learned at our church a couple weeks ago that after God anointed David as king, he sent him 
back to the pasture. Yes. And most of the Psalms were written while David was in the pasture getting to know his God. That's right. He did not become king right away. Yes. The Bible is full of stories that had to go, that where people had to go through training before God put them in those areas of influence. Yes. And the training is important. You know, I mean, we even think about Jesus. I mean, he was 30 years old before he started to to tell people about who he was and who his father was, right? Isn't that crazy? Because I really think if you had asked me before I knew, you know, how old Jesus was, I would have said, well, man, he probably like started straight out the womb, right? right? That's what you're doing. Yeah. But no, he spent so much time loving his father and loving other people before he even began that part of his ministry. Yes. And those, those things are important. That proving ground is important. You know, for me, what stood out, and I, I feel like this kind of goes along with what you're saying, is she talked about that three by three plot and tending that area. And, you know, I think sometimes I, I do have big dreams and I'm ready for them to happen now. Right. And, but I can kind of start to almost wish time away or like, Hey, when all my kids are in school or Hey, when my, when I have someone who can drive that can help, you know, and I kind of start to want to fast forward through things or get to the next step. And I feel like God reminded me today, Kate, stay faithful where I have given you tend this plot. Well, right? Do this part with excellence by my power through my spirit, you know, work hard in this place and let me take care of what's going to happen next, right? I'm the one who brings the growth. And don't let the world tell you what your three by three plot is. Yeah. Don't let social media or even other like friends, good friends, God honoring friends that are doing something in their life. Don't let them determine what your three by three plot is because only you can know that thing that God's calling you to do. And nobody else may understand it in that moment except for you and God. So when he says, here's what I want you to take ownership of for right now, do it with joy and trust that God has you there for a reason. Yes. Wonderful. Hey, moms, thank you so much for being with us. We know, oh, I was going to say we hope this is a blessing, but we know this was a blessing. It blessed Rebecca and I. Yes. Um, And so we are so thankful that you were here. Go give Mary a follow, and you can follow us on Gather Moms on Instagram and Facebook. We also want to remind you that we would love for you to join our Patreon group. The things that you are giving to our ministry right now financially are going towards helping more moms find out about this podcast and get resources. So you can go to patreon.com slash gather moms to join our team. All right, moms. We'll see you next time.